Just a little recap of what we have discussed so far. Today we're going to finish chapter 2. So we're on page 66 in the Hebrew, for those who are following in the Hebrew. Right at the top. Actually, more like at the bottom of 65. Yeah, bottom, bottom of 65 on the left. Last paragraph. So chapter 2 is discussing the process of tshuva. We spoke about the three levels, that there are the Jews, the tzaddikim, who are on the level of a city. Then there are the benonim, who live in the field, who the king, so to speak, goes out to greet. And then there are those of us who are in the desert, right? Those of us who feel far away from Hashem, who don't feel emotions towards Hashem, and who have started to become apathetic. And so the altar is going to give us three, a three-step solution. <laughs> what to do when I don't care. So, so far we discussed that length the first step, which is to arouse mercy on your soul. We said Rachmanut is the Midah of Yaakov, right? Of Jacob. And this Rachmanut is the idea of putting yourself in the shoes of your soul and looking at the world, so to speak, from the perspective of your soul. And when you do that and realize that your soul is really in exile and is not able to be its true self and has not been able to live up to its potential, because of the way we've lived, because not necessarily even because of sin specifically, but also because we've just become so involved and so distracted by the physical world, that should wake up within us the emotion of mercy. And when we wake up mercy, we said, Yaakov asher pada et Avraham, that our forefather Jacob, who redeemed Abraham, that the Rachmanut, that the character trait of mercy, which is correlated with Jacob, will redeem the character trait of love, which we correlate with Abraham. So how do we redeem the love? How do we reawaken the passion for Hashem that we all have within our soul, but that has become dormant? How do we reignite that relationship in Elul? By arousing mercy on our soul. So we discussed that. And we ended off by asking, what about someone who tries that? Try to put, they know, they put themselves in the shoes of their soul and they're thinking about all the things their soul has been through and what a, ter- what a, what a difficult situation your soul finds itself in, in, in living in our bodies, right? And nothing happens. We don't feel anything. So we try the process. We try to arouse mercy on our soul so that we can reclaim that hidden love that exists within every one of us, but we, it's, we're just not being successful. We still don't feel anything. And the Altarabi brings a mashal an analogy to describe the situation that when a limb is attached to the body, no matter how far away it is from the brain, no matter how remote, like even a toenail, if it gets stubbed against a rock, because it's connected, your brain will feel the pain. So when we are connected, when we feel connected to Hashem, we will feel the pain of our soul when we try to. But what about somebody who's been cut off, so to speak? We know we can never truly be cut off from Hashem, but what if we're in a situation where we are not engaged, we don't feel connected. Then when we stub our same toe, right, the, to- the, the limb is separated. It's separated from the brain, and the brain doesn't feel the pain. And that is a situation that a person who can't even awaken mercy on himself after contemplating a situation finds himself in, that he's, so to speak, cut off from his source. And so he doesn't feel the pain, and he doesn't feel the emotions that he should feel when he tries to awaken this mercy. So what is he to do? So I don't remember how much we discussed outside or inside last week, um, but that's where we'll take up 
we'll take up here. We said, I think we finished with this, with this paragraph over here, that he should awaken even more mercy on himself from the fact that he can't feel, right? What was the saying that we used? I, I want to want to feel, right? I want to want to care. That's the situation that this person finds himself in, that they cannot awaken the emotion, and therefore the fact that they have realized, wow, I've sat down, I've contemplated my soul situation, I've tried to awaken mercy to awaken the love, and I just can't. I'm so far, I'm so detached from my source, from my true self, I can't even do that. That should awaken an even higher level of mercy. So the Alter Rebbe explains, what does that even higher level of mercy look like? It looks like turning toward Hashem, who is the ultimate source of mercy, in this step two, so to speak, and say, Hashem, you need to give to have mercy on me so that I can feel this love that is hidden in my soul because I am not succeeding on my own. So step number one is contemplate the situation that your soul finds itself in, which will lead to mercy on your soul. When you arouse that mercy, suddenly the emotions become alive again, we become reattached, and we'll be able to rediscover that love. If you try that, it doesn't work. Step number two, turn towards Hashem, who is the source of all mercy, and say, Hashem, have mercy on my soul so that that mercy that you shine onto my soul will awaken the love that is hidden so that I can reinitiate my relationship with you. That's step number two. We're going to see step number three. What if that doesn't even work? Um, that's going to be chapter three. But chapter two is going to finish off with discussing. Actually, chapter two is also going to speak about step number three. And then I guess there's step number four um, in chapter in chapter three. So let's, let's, let's look at this inside. What's a person to do if he tries to arouse mercy on his soul and he doesn't feel anything? What if he still just doesn't care? He cares enough to keep trying, but the emotions are not coming. So again, we're on the bottom of page 65 on the left, the last paragraph, which starts with the word ach. However, Somebody who does not feel anything on his soul, he does not feel the pain and the blemishes that have been caused to his soul. Since, because his soul has been so harmed to the point that it's been separated and cut off from its source completely. So what's a person to do? On the contrary, this should arouse an even higher level of mercies. From the fact that he's not even able to feel mercy on himself. The Gemara says, I guess it's a little bit controversial, Gemara says that we shouldn't have mercy on a fool because he is so, such a fool, he doesn't even know to have mercy on himself. Like, don't waste your mercy. Don't have mercy on a fool. He can't even arouse mercy on himself. The Rebbe Rashab explains, what does that mean? We have to have mercy on everybody. That the basic level of mercy, we shouldn't have on a fool because he can't even have that on himself. It doesn't work, right? He's so cut off from the truth. He's so such a fool that contemplating on his situation will not arouse mercy. So you shouldn't do the same thing. Rather, we should go to the next level an even higher level of mercy. Have mercy on the fool that he can't even have mercy on himself. And that's the level that we're talking about here. It's an even higher level of mercy. And how do we awaken this higher level of mercy? By turning toward Hashem, who is the source, who is the ultimate merciful one, and saying, please have mercy on my soul because I am so far away that I feel nothing. And then when we can awaken that from Hashem, we can hopefully feel the love that exists within every one of us 
and reinitiate that relationship and go to greet the king and Elul and do teshuva. Now we're on page 66 of Tanova. Top of page 66. As is explained in another place, in another Hasidic discourse, on the, on the Pasuk, that with your great mercies have mercy upon us. This is referring to the second step where we turn to Hashem and say, with all your great mercies, with your infinite mercies, please turn it towards us and have mercy on us because we cannot even have mercy on ourselves. Perush, the explanation of this Pasuk is, since our uh, poor intellect is not able to grasp the amount of mercy that we really need to have in our soul, the truth of mercy, because the mida of Rachmanut the character trait, the emotion of mercy, Yaakov, comes from our forefather Yaakov. Mavriach and it's drawn from the highest place to the lowest place. As we explained, that Tiferes represents mercy, and you see that it's in the middle. The middle channel draws all the way from the highest, highest place, from Keter, from beyond Sedeshtashat, all the way to Malchat, all the way to the lowest. Right when we look at the middle channel, it's a chain that goes from the highest to the lowest. We see Tiferet is found in the middle when we look at Seder Shdashlut, which corresponds and represents to the idea that Tiferet, that the emotion of mercy starts off in the highest places as we were discussing, the Yud Gimu Midot the source of mercies that exist in Keter, that exist beyond the order of creation, and they can be drawn all the way down to us down here to our soul. And we do that, we can draw that down by turning toward Hashem and saying, Hashem, arouse mercy on my soul because I can't do that. I am not succeeding. And when we turn to Hashem, Hashem's infinite mercies can be drawn down to us so we can awaken that love. Okay, that's step number two. And then we have some footnotes that are added. Not footnotes because they're in the mimer, but the added explanations of the Tzemach Tzedek, right? This is Lekutei Torah. We said all the way at the beginning of this class that there's Torah or in Lekutei Torah, which were compiled, printed by the Tzemach Tzedek, the grandson of the Alter Rebbe. And Lekutei Torah was printed later. And the, the Tzemach Tzedek added his own explanations within the Mimer. He didn't want to. And then his sons had dreams. And he had dreams where the Altar became and said, add your footnotes. So the footnotes here, we're not going to read it inside. But the, the Tzemach Tzedek adds a mashal. He adds an analogy. He's going off of the previous analogy, which explained that this stage number two, somebody who finds himself not even able to awaken mercy on themselves, it's an example of a limb that's been cut off from its source. And that's why he doesn't feel anything. So then the Tzemach Tzedek says, what is this? process of turning towards Hashem and asking him to shine his mercy to us. What does that look like in an analogy? It looks like taking a head that has been cut off from the body and putting it back on. What that looks like physically, I don't know how that's possible. I guess it is. Actually, it is possible, right? Um, to what extent the head's been cut off, I don't know, but it's possible. The head, the a limb has been detached and then we reattach that limb. And now the limb is able to feel the pain. The brain is able to feel the pain of the limb because now they are reconnected. So that's a, the mashal that the Tzamaq Tzedek brings for this process of turning toward Hashem and saying, reconnect me to you so that I can feel mercy, so that I can feel the love. Okay. Next question is, what about somebody who tries this and that doesn't even work, right? So before we go on to the next level, does anybody have any questions or comments? Clear? Okay. Yeah. How many people who don't want to feel don't really like, 
like have that connection with Hashem to try them. Mm, that's a very good point. So here we are speaking about somebody who cares enough. Who cares enough to try. But because he hasn't cared for a very long time, when he starts to care again, he doesn't feel anything. And the process is very difficult. So there was a time in his life where he didn't care enough, where he wasn't making the effort. During that time, he, he got so cut off from his source that now when he does want to care again, when he does want to reinstate that relationship, which is what Edel is all about, saying, okay, the whole year, I kind of forgot about you. Now I want to reinvest in my relationship with Hashem. Okay, but because I, there was a point where I didn't care, and not necessarily because I sinned, but I just didn't care. Now that I'm trying, the process is very difficult because the feelings aren't coming, right? And it's hard to force feelings. So we're speaking about someone who, who cares enough to try, and, and we're going to see, to go to all different lengths to, to try and, 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 and uh, regain this connection, um, but, but who has been in a situation in the past where because he didn't care enough, it's become difficult. Okay, it's a good question. Um, okay, so now the Altarev is going to go to, to, to the extreme. Okay, if this doesn't work, next step. The next step the Altarev is going to tell us, um, the Rebbe, his Maimaram of... of um, Ani Lodaidi said, clearly is not for our generation. So first we'll see what the Alter Rebbe says. Then, we'll, uh, then I'll add in what the Rebbe says that looks like for our generation. So the Alter Rebbe says, okay, if you're so cut off from your source, if you're so far away from Hashem, that not only just trying to arouse mercy on your soul by contemplating on what exile it finds itself in doesn't work, doesn't arouse the love, you can't even feel any emotions, and praying to God, and asking Hashem to arouse mercy, that's not working either. And you're still cold, you're still numb, you're still disconnected, and you're still apathetic. You've got to go to the next step, stage number three, which is sigufim, which is causing physical discomfort to yourself, taking yourself out of your comfort zone so that you can break away from the indulgences that have disconnected you and you can reconnect to Hashem. Which looks like fasting, as he's going to say, and sigufim, which means causing discomfort to, to your body. So let's see that inside, and then we'll see what the Rebbe says the role of our generation is, because the Rebbe was very, very clear that fasting is not the avoda of this generation, that causing physical harm to ourselves is not the avoda of this generation, that you know, married couples abstaining from intimacy just to reach these high levels, that's not the avoda of this generation. The Rebbe was very clear on all these things. So the Alter Rebbe is talking to his generation. And then we'll see what, what, the, what the Rebbe says. So let's first see what is a person to do if nothing is working, if he still doesn't care, he's so cut off, he's so disconnected that even after praying to Hashem to draw down mercies onto his soul, he still doesn't feel anything. The Im Gambazos. Okay, so we're one, two, three, four par- uh, paragraphs from the top on page 66 on the right. The Im Gambazos. If even... With this that we've just discussed, this process, lo yitorer, he's not able to awaken Bo within himself. Midat rachmanut, the emotion of mercy, haniskar le'el, which we mentioned above. Hinezot ha'etsa hayotza. This is like this is my final advice. Dehinei is written. Haroe bashoshanim, who is shepherding among the roses, the pasuk. From Shira Shirim says, Dodi li vani lo, and in another place, and it ends off with, Haro Eva Shoshanim, who is shepherding amongst the roses. My beloved is to me, or I am to my beloved, and my beloved is to me, who is shepherding amongst the roses. That's the second part of the Pasuk, 
that this entire mimer is based off of, of Anilodoidi. What does it mean? Who is shepherding amongst the roses? What do roses represent? Roses represent all sorts of things throughout Hasidus. But in this case, it's going to explain it's Uperish Bazayar. What does roses, who finds himself shepherding among the roses, represent? It's explained in the Zohar. Masha Shoshana, just as a rose, etapech megavon sumak, can change colors from being a bright red, legavon chivar, to being pale, to being white, ayade isha through fire. Kach so too, he makes it written in Yeshaya, in Isaiah, im yiyu chatosechem kashanim. If your sins will become blackened, kasheleg yalbino, they will be whitened like snow. So if you take a red rose, right? Roses are red. Violets are blue. Roses are all sorts of colors, but roses are red. And red, as we're going to see, represents sin. If we put red, the red rose through fire, if a rose gets burned, what does it turn into? Ashes. What color are ashes? White. So when a red rose goes through the process of fire, it can turn white. White represents purity and represents being free of sin. So the idea here is that we can, by looking at the second part of the verse of Ani Lododi, Shoshanim, we can learn from the idea that just as, as explained in the Zohar, just as red roses can turn white through the process of fire, we can take the, the blemish that's considered red, that is on our soul, that is causing us to become apathetic to God, that is stopping us from feeling anything, and through fire, through the process of fire, which Daltrab is going to explain is fasting and causing discomfort to the body, we will turn white. And when we can turn white, we will be able to be clean of sin, so to speak, and reconnect Tasha. Yes. Is that why we white on Yom Kippur? White, yeah, white represents free of sin. And a wedding day. Yeah, and wedding day, it's, it's an idea of, um, it's, an, it's the idea of being pure. White represents purity. And red represents, represents like a stain, so to speak, a blemish. So, so let's see that inside. Just as a red rose can turn the gavon chiver to a white, through fire, so too, if your sins are blackening you, God can come, you can, you can make them white like snow through the process of fire. And it says, that a sin is considered red, the color red, but can kolamasim, not only sin, but also any action of a diburim, any speech, and any thought, that exist in this world, that are not for God, not necessarily sin, but anything that makes us apathetic toward God and that distracts us from the truth, are also called red. Because these are the thoughts of our evil inclination and all of its schemes. But we can overturn this redness, this apathy to white, which is what's called in the verse, that we should be whitened like snow, become pure, become free of sin, and become reconnected, specifically through fire. So what is fire? The al is going to say that there's two levels of fire. There's a fire that comes from above, and there's a fire that comes from below. This is spoken about throughout the Maimarim of Hasidus all over. We see this from the Korbanot, that when the Jewish people would bring a Korban, they would start a fire below, and a fire would descend from heaven, the Zohar says, in the shape of a lion, and consume the offering. So there's what's called Esh Shelemaila, 
of fire that comes from our own initiation, and there's esh, sorry, eshelamata, from below, a fire that comes from our initiation, from our effort, and eshelamala, a fire that comes from above. In this context, esh is referring to the purification process of sin. Many times, esh and the fire from above, fire from below, refers to the passion for God and the love for Hashem. But here we're speaking about this cleansing process. So, there's a fire from above and a fire from below. So, which fire are we tapping into to cleanse our red sins and turn them white? The fire that descends from above, not everybody is worthy of this. That God should come and cleanse him of all his sins. That God should be the one to initiate. So, it's up to us. But there is this concept called fire from below that we can cleanse ourselves of our sins from below. It's the concept of bodily discomfort, and fasting. To take away a little bit of his flesh and blood, get rid of the physicality that he's become distracted by and immersed in. That come from this element that conceals the truth of Hashem. Va'az, and then, Ya'er Hashem Panav, Hashem will shine His countenance. Panim, we will finally get this light that we've been discussing all the way at the beginning, this light that is present in Elul and in Tishrei that we're trying to tap into of Hashem, the king that's in the field. How can we finally access it if this doesn't work and this doesn't work by taking the Eshelamata, fire from below, cleansing ourselves of the klipa that's distracted us and made us apathetic to God so that we can receive this revelation. The Rebbe and his Maimaram say, okay, what does this mean for our generation? Because we, we do not cleanse ourselves of our sins or of our apathy through fasting or causing physical harm. The Rebbe says this generation, when we speak about the process of teshuva, is only in the positive. No such thing as negative. Our generation, we're not made for negative. It's just going to get us deeper and deeper into ourselves, which is the problem in the first place. We need to break out of ourselves. We need to focus on the positive. So the Rebbe there says, in his Maimar, discussing the specific section of Anila Daidi, that for us, this process looks like what's called Tracht gut wird sein gut, which is Yiddish. Have you guys heard this quote before? Tracht gut wird sein gut. Think good and it will be good. Bitachon. What's the process? If you've tried to arouse mercy on your soul, you've tried to put yourself in your soul's shoes to realize this, the dire situation and make some changes, you don't feel anything. You've pleaded with Hashem to have mercy on you, you still don't feel anything. What should you do? You should trust in Hashem and you should trust and have faith in your godly spark that it will become revealed. And when you have such a trust, even though reality proves otherwise, that's what bitachon is. Bitachon is reality says one thing and I trust it's gonna be different. So you're defying reality. When you defy your limitations and your reality, Hashem will also defy your limitations and your reality and give to you from an even higher place. And Hashem will give you the gift that you'll be able to actually reconnect to Hashem and feel this love. So the, Alter, so the Rebbe says, what's the third process then? Have faith, have complete trust in Hashem that He is going to help you reconnect with your soul so that you can actually feel true feelings and emotions and passion and excitement in your service of Hashem and Elul and in Tishrei and that that should lead to the entire year. So that is, that is the perspective that the Rebbe has on this. And in general, it's brought that in place of fasting, even in the times where people were told to fast, to cleanse themselves of their sins, so to speak, or to reconnect to Hashem. 
there were certain people who couldn't fast. Some people just couldn't fast or couldn't fast for that long amount of time or couldn't handle the pain that some other people were putting their bodies through to get to this level. And the solution was, does anybody know, what should you do if you can't fast? Stucker, charity, charity. Charity is the same process, so to speak, because you're taking something that physically belongs to you, that you've worked for, that you've toiled for, you put your sweat and blood into making money, and then you don't indulge in it, but rather you give it away. You give it to somebody else. You give it to a Jew, which is the ultimate form of serving Hashem, as we said, because Hashem loves the Jewish people. So when you give to a Jew, when you give charity, you're giving to Hashem. You're giving from your own flesh and blood to Hashem, not with the process of fasting, not with the process of causing yourself physical discomfort or physical pain, but rather through the process of tzedakah, which the altar we will touch on in, um, in chapter 3 as well, the process of tzedakah. So this so far, what we've discussed is the, what we call the higher level of the lower teshuva, right? We said that there's the lower teshuva, which deals with sin, or not necessarily even sin, but apathy that comes as a result of sin or as a result of indulging in the physical world. And we said that there's two processes. The first process is basic teshuva, leaving sin. I'm not doing it anymore. I am not going to do this anymore. That's teshuva, right? And then the, the higher level of the lower teshuva is what we've been discussing here. How to regain that connection, how to leave that apathy behind that was caused as a result of either sinning or indulging in, in this world and forgetting about our relationship with God. That is the lower level of chuva. Now the al is going to discuss in chapter 3 the higher level of chuva, which as we discussed briefly, we said the higher level of chuva has nothing to do whatsoever with sin. It has to do with God. I am a godly person and I am going to invest and involve myself in godliness so that I can reconnect myself, tashuv, so that I can return to the truth of who I am. So the lower level of tshuva is in order for me to reconnect, to return to the truth of who I am, to my soul's, uh, to my soul's true yearnings, right, and to my relationship with Hashem, I need to leave behind the sin, either by actually leaving behind the sin or by getting rid of the apathy that was caused by the, the sin and, putting, and regaining that connection. And we said that there's these three steps that a person can go through to get that. The higher level of Truva says, no sin. There's no sin. There's just God. And there's me. And the truth of who I am is that I want to be one with God. And so I'm going to involve myself with Torah and mitzvahs, which are godliness. And that is how I'm going to return to Hashem. Purely focusing on the positive and involving ourselves in Hashem's Torah and mitzvahs. So when we, if you look at a Girat HaTshuva, this is, uh, I've mentioned this before, the letters, there's many chapters that the Alter Rebbe wrote, and he wrote it, he says I, that he wrote this Girat HaTshuva for the sole purpose that people should realize that Teshuva is something attainable. It's not some lala esoteric thing that's for tzaddikim, it's something that every single one of us can achieve. And there in a Girat HaTshuva, the Alter Rebbe presents the lower Teshuva and the higher Teshuva as steps. That first you start with the lower Teshuva, first you leave sin behind and you leave the apathy behind and you regain that connection and then you can go to the higher teshuva which is immersing and involving yourself in Torah and mitzvahs to the point that you return. The Rebbe says you can skip to the higher teshuva. Skip to the higher teshuva. It doesn't have to be in steps. So that's just something that we should keep in mind. That's really the Rebbe's approach to teshuva. We said teshuva is through simcha, through joy, which is really the higher level of teshuva. Not through breaking ourselves and through crying and through bitterness, but through action 
and through joy from the fact that we're able to return to Hashem no matter what we've done. So chapter three, which is the last chapter of the Mimer, Mimer ends right here. We have one more, one and a bit more pages. Chapter three discusses the higher level of Shiva and immersing ourselves in Torah and in mitzvahs as a way to reconnect to Hashem. So the way it's almost presented here is in steps as well. That's the Alter approach. You start off with the lower chuva. Once you've achieved that, you can go to the higher chuva. But keep in mind that the Rebbe's approach really is that you don't need to go through these two steps. You can, we, where we're holding, we can jump straight to the higher chuva. Chuva through simcha, chuva through joy, chuva through positivity and through action, not necessarily through dealing with sin at all. And it's something that if we, if we look at it, just the situation of this generation, right? The more we focus and the more we focus on ourselves and what we've done, it, that's kind of the problem of our generation, that we're focusing so much on ourselves that the more you focus on yourself, the more depressed you get. That's just kind of the reality of it, right? They did this study. Um, they did this study. They took, I think it was, Ch- it was either Asian or specifically Chinese, I don't know, a whole, like, group, test group. They took Americans, and they said, you guys have a month to make yourselves happier, and they had to like track it, and they had to actively try to make themselves happier, and then they had to come back. And after the, uh, at the end of the month, the Americans came back, they were more depressed than, than what they had started off with, than before they'd started to try and make themselves happy. And again, the, either the Chinese or the Asians, I don't remember exactly, um, they were happier. So they asked them, they asked the Americans, what did you do? So they said, you know, I, I bought myself new clothing, and I went for massages, and I did self-care, and meditated, and, I, 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 I focused on myself to make myself happier. And guess what happened? They got more depressed than they'd even, than before they tried to make themselves happier. And they asked the Asians, they said, what did you try to do? And they said, oh, I went to a soup kitchen. I volunteered. I spent more time with my kids. I spent more time with my dog. I, I was giving and giving, and that actually made them, them happier. So the Rebbe, I don't know if he says it explicitly, but, but really we see this in our generation. The more we try to like focus on, on ourselves, even if it's for a positive goal, we get stuck in ourselves and we, don't, we forget what the goal was. And, and that leads to sadness, that leads to depression, which is the, the, the um, ultimate tool of the Yitzhar Harat to drag us down is depression. The Rebbe says that our avoda in this generation is simcha, is joy. Is focusing on the future, is focusing on action and positivity and doing teshuva in a way of joy. And that really is the higher level of teshuva. And the Rebbe gives us this power that we can jump to this high level of teshuva automatically. So let's, uh, let's go a little bit inside. I'm debating if we should go inside today or start tomorrow inside for chapter three. How much time? We have five more minutes. We can start a little bit inside and, uh, and we'll continue with it tomorrow. Today is Monday, so I think by Wednesday we should be finished. I think Thursday, even maybe tomorrow, we'll see. And then I think we'll do a bit of a, a review to prepare us because Rosh Hashanah is on Sunday night. I hope you are learning about Rosh Hashanah in some other classes because we've been very Elul focused, right? Yeah? Okay, <laughs> good. Um, and then in the 10, we're going to come back after Rosh Hashanah before Yom Kippur. I think we have a few days, two days. So we're not going to start a new mind, we'll probably just do a bit of Yom Kippur, Sukkot stuff, maybe more concepts than inside, and then, um, and then we'll go into a new mimer, I guess, after Sukkot. Okay, so that's, that's what that's going to look like. Let's go a little bit inside here. We're not, we don't have so much time to elaborate. We'll read a little bit, and tomorrow we'll start to elaborate on chapter three, which again is delving now into this higher level of Teshuvah. 
Gimel. Ach, however, you should know, Odachat, there's another way. Hitzarich lasit etzot benafsho, that a person can advise his soul, that a person can reawaken this passion for his soul, that a person can do teshuvah. Masha Katuv, as it's written also in Shira Shirim, Bashvakim uvarachavot on the streets, Avaksha, I am seeking out et shahava nafshi, that which my soul loves. Ad shematsati, until I find et shahava nafshi, that which my soul loves. Achastiv, I will hold on to him, beloyar penu, and I will not let go. Me, until I bring him into the house of my mother, the El Cheder Horati, and into my parents' bedroom. So this is a, actually a very romantic, um, a very romantic on the outset, on the Pshat level verse, which is saying, I'm going to seek out my lover until I find him. When I find him, I'm going to hold on to him. I'm not going to let him go until I bring him to my parents' bedroom. We're going to discuss what that is referring to, what that means and how that actually refers to this higher level of teshuvah. Okay, that when we can finally grasp, as we're going to see, the, that which our soul loves, when we can finally grasp this love, when we do get hold of it, how can we hold on to it? Because there's two different things here. There's accessing that love, and there's allowing that love to be a constant thing, which is what the whole goal of Elul and Tishrei is, that this love, that this connection that we have reignited in the process of teshuvah should last throughout the entire year. It should not just be for this time, and then next month, we forget everything we've just done, we go back into life, but that this love should be something that burns throughout the whole year. So that's what we're going to be discussing tomorrow. Okay, so we'll finish a little bit early, I think. I don't think we should go into the whole thing now. And yeah, does anyone have any questions or comments before we finish for the day? lot to ask of someone who's not feeling anything in the first place yeah i definitely hear that and that's i think where um where the chuva from joy comes in which is what we're going to be discussing chapter three which is you don't feel godly surround yourself with godliness do godly things you still don't feel godly do more (laughs) 